Hey, and thanks for tuning in to the Father's House podcast. The Father's House exists to see people discover life in Jesus. We hope that today's message brings you fresh life and renewed hope as you listen. Enjoy. Well, uh, as the uh, social media prophesied and the graphics showed and the newsletter told you, we've got a theme this year for Christmas, and uh, that theme is the word behold. Everybody say behold. And uh, even though you just said it a second ago, that's probably not a word you use very often day to day in your conversations. Uh, In fact, unless you like to speak in old King James English or often quote Lord of the Rings, you probably never use that word. And if you do those things, we probably wouldn't be very good friends. Um, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Behold, I offer my friendship unto thee. But despite our infrequent use of that word in our day-to-day conversations here in America, uh, it is a word that is used quite frequently throughout the scriptures. I actually did a little bit of digging this week, and as it turns out, that word shows up 843 times in the Old Testament, 213 in the New Testament, and if I did math correctly, which is debatable, that means that it showed up about 1,056 times in scripture. It's in there a lot. And the word means what you would expect it to mean. It means to look or to see, to, to recognize that something is among you. But what's really interesting about this word is not necessarily the frequency of its use in the scriptures, but rather the purpose of its use in the scriptures. Virtually every time you see this word used in the Bible, It is a form of literary interruption for the purpose of announcement. Uh, In other words, a a biblical author would be riding along and, and they would insert this word, behold, and it's a cue to the reader to stop for a moment and pay close attention to what's going to come next because the next phrase or the next thought is going to be significant in nature. It's funny, you can read through the scriptures and as you do, you'll see someone maybe telling a story or a biblical author sharing a thought and it's like they interrupt themselves mid-thought, behold, and then what comes next is this incredibly important detail that isn't just maybe important to that particular portion of scripture, but the entire narrative of scripture. And so it's probably not surprising that this word behold in light of its use shows up quite a bit in the Christmas story, in the birth of Jesus. If you were to go home today and, and read through the familiar details of the story, uh, the star in the east, the shepherds keeping watch over their flocks by night, the magi that came and offered the gifts of gold and frankincense and, and myrrh, or the manger, all of the details, you'd see this word over and over and over again, behold, 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 behold. But the behold moment I would like to focus in on this morning for our Christmas services today is in my opinion, the most significant behold moment mentioned in the Christmas narrative. And it's found in the beginning of the first gospel in the New Testament, the gospel of Matthew. Uh, And we're gonna look there today, starting in verse 18. If you have a Bible, you can go to Matthew chapter one. But it reads like this. This is how Jesus, the Messiah, was born. His mother, Mary, was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man, and he did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. In other words, he was not buying this whole pregnant virgin deal. (laughs) And neither would you, let's be honest. No, no, it's God's baby. Uh Uh-huh, I'll see you on Springer, girl. We'll get this all sorted out. All the older people laugh more because they know who Springer is. They're like, hell, 
Maury, I don't know. <laughs> okay. So as he's considering this, leaving his, his soon-to-be wife, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet, and then here comes. Behold, the virgin will conceive a child, she will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Here, as Matthew begins to detail the events of the birth of Jesus, the familiar details that we've read many times before, he interrupts himself in the middle of a thought and he recounts a 700-year-old prophecy found in the book of Isaiah, which starts with our word for the day. Behold, look, see, pay attention, be aware of what's taking place. And in keeping with the pattern of this word's use in scripture, what comes next is of the utmost importance. I think it's one of the most important truths that we need to cling to in scripture. He says, behold, the virgin will conceive a child and they will call him Emmanuel, God with us. Just a few verses earlier, he begins to tell Joseph, hey, when you have this baby, you're gonna call him Jesus, that will be his name. But then he interrupts this thought about the name of Jesus and he says, although his name will be Jesus, they, the people, the world, will call him Emmanuel, the God that has come to be among us. A significant promise made to us in scripture. And today, I wanna to focus the entirety of our time on that behold moment, this invitation to look and see that God is here with us. To that end, I want, I want to title the conversation we're going to have here on Christmas in this way. I didn't see you there. I didn't see. Come on, turn to the person next to you and look into their eyeballs and tell them, I did not see you. I'm helping you out. If you're single right now and you've been scoping the person next to you, I didn't see you there, girl. Hey, yeah, come on. Work it, work it. <laughs> All right, let's pray before Jesus leaves the room. Okay. Lord, we thank you today for this promise in scripture. God, I thank you for your presence in worship. I thank you for the gift of creativity and its ability to ignite faith and stir our hearts and allow us to glimpse other perspectives and other sides of who you are. Uh, and today, as we go to this text, a story that many have heard year after year after year after year, I pray that there would be fresh revelation, that we would see things differently, and that according to the invitation issued, we would behold you before we leave this place. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. A uh, little fun fact for you this morning. I did not intend to share this, but our team told me that I should. Um, I was telling them earlier this week uh, while I was preparing the sermon, my daughter came into my office and she was looking over my shoulder as I was typing, probably judging everything that I was writing down. And, cause she's a little judgy like that. And, uh, she, she, she's reading along and she interrupts me and she says, Dad, how many sermons have you preached before? I'm like, that's a great question. I don't know. So I went to a file on my computer because I'm organized where every single sermon I've ever preached is. And I hit control A and highlighted all of them. And it turns out that as of last week, I had preached 499 sermons, which means that today is the 500th sermon I have ever preached in my lifetime. So thanks for joining me for the 500th. 
I, I pray it's better than the first one. <laughs> the first one was a little rough. I could show you footage. It was bad. Uh, but as a guy who communicates on a pretty regular basis and always has to have something to say, uh, I must admit I am constantly looking for inspiration in, in my day-to-day -day life for sermons. Uh, I can't help myself. I don't think any of us can. I believe we all see life through the lens of our calling, and, and I can't help but see life through the lens of a preacher. Uh, there are interactions and events that take place and statements that are made, and, and every time something inspirational happens, I want to catalog it for future use in a sermon. So I've got this note on my phone and a couple of them titled things like sermon ideas or, or, or leadership thoughts or funny stories. And at any point throughout the day, if a moment of inspiration hits me, I'll take out my phone and I'll begin to jot down some notes. So if, if you and I are in a conversation and you say something and I take out my phone and I begin to write things down, it's because you're probably going to make an appearance in a later sermon. You just don't know if it's for the funny reasons or for the inspirational reasons, but you'll find out as you come to church that Sunday. It's going to be great. But my wife used to make fun of me for this constantly. We, uh, Robin would tell me less after we had kids, uh, our kids would say something or do something, and I'd immediately take out my phone and begin to write stuff down. And she's like, I swear, it seems like the only reason you wanted to have kids was so you had more content for sermons. <laughs> and admittedly, kids do make for great content. If you need some content in your life, have some babies. Wait till you get married. Uh, but, but I've noticed, having communicated now for 13 years, that a moment of inspiration can come at any time. You could be going about your normal day-to-day -day activities, doing something you've done a thousand times before, and suddenly you are hit with a moment of inspiration. And that is exactly what happened this week as I was preparing the sermon for, for Christmas. I had a moment of inspiration in my home while I was standing in front of my refrigerator. Today you get refrigerator revelation. It's going to be good. Uh, here's what went down. And I don't know if this is just a me thing or if this is an all guy thing, but it's definitely a me thing. And my wife could testify. For some reason, I could be standing in front of my refrigerator or in front of a cabinet looking for something that is directly in front of my face, but be incapable of seeing it. This is probably a weekly conversation in my house. I see a lot of heads nodding right now and elbows. Yeah, a weekly conversation in my household. I'll walk over to the fridge or something. I'm like, hey, babe, I thought you said you bought such and such from the store. And she'll yell back from the other side of the house, I did. And I'll yell back, I don't think you did. <laughs> no, I did. Well, where is it? It's, it's in the fridge. It's not in the fridge. I'm, st I'm standing in front of the fridge and I don't see the item I'm looking for. And then she asks, well, did you move stuff around? I, I moved it around. I don't see it in the fridge. And we go back and forth for a couple. And, and eventually, this happens every time, she'll walk over to where I'm at in front of the fridge, in front of the cabinet. And in a millisecond, she will grab the thing that is directly in front of my eyeballs and go, it's right here. And then she hits me. No, I'm just kidding. She doesn't hit me, but... <laughs> I'm convinced it's, has this happened to anybody else besides me? Okay, I, I can, I'm convinced it's a married man thing. Like, I, this is something I inherited during marriage, I'm, I'm confident. Because when I was a teenager, I did not have any problem finding things in the kitchen. My mom could not hide anything. My dad, I knew where his secret stash of peanut M&Ms was above the microwave in the little cabinet. When I was older and rebellious, I knew where their bottles were hidden back in the back of, I'm sorry, too much to share on a Sunday morning. I couldn't find things. Now, like, 18 years into marriage, I could literally be standing in front of something. It is right there in front of my eyeballs, but be incapable of seeing it. And this week, as one of these 
moments was taking place in our home. I'm standing at the fridge looking for something that's right in front of me. I couldn't help but think about our text for today. Behold, look, see, open up your stinking eyes. (laughs) Emmanuel, God is right here in front of you. Here at the beginning of Matthew's gospel, we are given perhaps the greatest promise in the entire Christmas story. That God, the God who created the heavens and the earth, the God who separated the oceans and the land, the God that spoke and the galaxies came into existence, the God who parted the Red Sea, the God who crushed the walls of Jericho, the God who shut the mouths of lions for Daniel, the God who kept his friends from burning up in the furnace, the God of provision and healing and peace and love and power. That God is here among us. Emmanuel, God with you. But, but as I stood there in front of my fridge, unable to see the thing that was right in front of me, I began to realize, man, isn't it like day-to-day life that God could be right next to us and we don't even realize it? And so as is my custom, I took out my phone and I began to take some notes for the sermon today. And among those notes was a question I posed to myself that I now pose to all of us in the room this morning. What keeps us from beholding Emmanuel? What keeps me from seeing that God is with me? Because listen, here's what I know. I know that God cannot lie. I know that God always tells the truth. As it says in Numbers 23, he is not a man that he should lie or a son of man that he does not come good on his promises. And if God said that he is with me, then his nearness and his presence is not up for debate. However, despite his nearness, it might seem like sometimes I cannot see him. So what keeps me from seeing God? And as I pondered that question, I couldn't help but think about the second letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. We won't turn there today for the sake of time, but in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, starting in verse 7, Paul begins to discuss the very reality that we are discussing today, this inability to see the God that is right in front of you. And as he does so, he begins to use an analogy. If I can get Justin and Galeri to help me real quick with this analogy. But as he begins to, to speak about this reality, he, he uses the analogy of a veil. He, he says, in the same way that the people of Israel were kept from the glory of God on Moses' face by way of a veil, sometimes we can find ourselves on the other side of a proverbial veil that keeps us from seeing Jesus. A veil that keeps us from recognizing he is right in front of us. Now, now quick disclaimer. Um, If you were here with us for Easter, and this is your first time back since then, first of all, thanks for coming back to church. Good to have you. We'd love to have you for the other 49 weeks of the year as well, (laughs) not just these two. Uh, But you might recall that on Easter, we also discussed a veil, a veil that was torn when Jesus gave his life on a cross, a veil that signified that the separation between God and man was destroyed once and for all. As it says in Hebrews chapter four, we can now come boldly to the throne of grace to receive mercy when we need it most because the holy of holies is not guarded off, but the presence of God has been made available to all people. That veil has been torn. 
and if this is your first time back, you might be thinking, great, another sermon about veils. Could have stayed home today and watched another soccer game. Sorry, football game, sorry. Well, fear not, this is not another sermon about that veil. The, the veil that Paul speaks of here in 2 Corinthians is actually a much different kind of veil. One that's less about separation and one that's more about incarnation. One that's more about the God that has already been here, but we just can't see him sometimes. Because often we may find ourselves on the other side of a veil. He's there, we just can't see him. So let's, let's talk about a couple of veils that keep people from seeing Jesus. Since it's Christmas, let's start out with the most relevant veil that pertains to the story. The veil of, of packaging. This presentation of, of Jesus as a baby. I mean, if you were not a person of faith, let's just think through the details of the story for a moment. Shows up as a baby, she said she was a virgin, ends up in a manger, the feeding trough of a lamb, and this is the Messiah that people have been waiting for. I mean, it's a bit far-fetched, right? If we're being honest, I'm sorry if that's sacrilegious, but I mean, let's, let's be honest. The, the God of the universe chose to introduce himself to humanity as a helpless baby? That's not how we would have expected God to come and be among us. And if you've ever found the packaging challenging, you, you would not be alone. Since the time of his coming until present, there have been people who have been unable to see past the packaging to Jesus. When he shows up on the scene, the people of Israel, the Jewish people have been waiting for him to come for 700 years, tracing all the way back to the prophecies of the Old Testament, uh, of Isaiah and, and, and other prophets. They'd been holding out for the coming Messiah. Why? Because they had spent the last 700 years in slavery to varying nations. At the time Jesus shows up, the Roman rule is, is in power and they have subjected the Jewish people to overtaxation and slavery and beatings and the likes. And for the decades prior to that, they were enslaved to the Babylonians as a result of their rebellion against God. And, and after you spent 700 years in slavery, you better believe you're holding out for a savior. But when they thought about this savior that would come, they could not help but think about him in terms of a liberator. One that would come in power as a warrior or a military expert. One that would come as a political figure that would usurp the Roman rule and, and establish a Jewish-friendly government. Or, or maybe one that would come as a king with all the pomp and circumstance that you'd expect of a king with horses and armies showing up to establish their rule. But a baby in a manger in the backwoods of Bethlehem from a no-name town called Nazareth. His parents were not rich and powerful. There was no notoriety to them, just a confused virgin and a dad looking for a room at a hotel. They had a bit of a packaging problem. And to this day, especially in the Middle East, there are people who find themselves on the other side of a veil called packaging because they're holding out for a Messiah that fits their narrative around what it will look like, not realizing that he's already come to be among them. It's the veil of packaging. 
But, but maybe packaging is not your problem. Maybe it's another thing. Maybe you find yourself at times on the other side of the veil of people. You know what I mean, people that make it difficult to see Jesus. People that say they're Jesus people, but make it really hard for you to see him through their actions. Come on, how many ever met a weird Christian before? How many are weird, no, don't they? <laughs> how many ever met a mean Christian before? Just a content, yeah, How many ever been flipped off by someone with a fish on their minivan? Are you the one who flipped me off the other day from your minivan while I was taking, I'm just asking, you know, just for a friend. Yeah, sometimes you can find it difficult to see Jesus through the people who claim to know him, but man, their actions don't seem very Christ-like. They say they're a Christian, but they act a little bit more like a demon sometimes, right? We, we, we have a, a phrase on our staff, it was birthed a couple of uh, months ago. I'm sorry this does, if this makes you think less of us, but I'm gonna share it anyway. Um, we were having a week where there were just a lot of people problems at church, uh, just a lot of drama. It, it was the nine o'clock service, none of y'all, don't worry about it. Um, I told them the same thing about you, just kidding. <laughs> uh, but uh, we're just having a lot of drama and, and some stuff that we're dealing with. And uh, it felt like every day there was another situation that kept coming up. And um, our kids pastor, Jazzy, we have a Google chat with all of our staff members. And, and one day she types out and she's like, man, people be people in this week. And I'm like, yeah, I like that phrase. People be peopling. Ain't that the truth, though? Sometimes people be peopling. Jesus' people be doing some stuff that Jesus' people should not be doing. Whether it's the, the angry street preacher telling every passerby that they're going to hell unless they repent, or the friend or the family member that committed atrocities against you and abused you Monday through Saturday and then drugged the family to church on Sunday and pretended like everything was fine. Or the pastor that, that abused you and stood on stage and said things that sounded right but behind the scenes was living hypocritically. Or the countless religious leaders whose moral failure we have witnessed on the public eye in recent days. Or, or the political fanatics out there who just wanna yell and scream from social media who somehow assume that following Jesus means pledging allegiance to a politician or to a political party, and they can't seem to get past the idolatry of their politics. You like that one, don't you? Yeah. Man, sometimes people can make it difficult to see Jesus. Sometimes the very veil that Jesus rent to get to people is being re-sown by those who claim to be his followers. Yeah, sometimes it's hard to see Jesus because of people. But there's other veils. The veil of past and performance. The veil that says, do you know what I've done? Do you know who I am? I'm not doubting that, that Jesus is willing to be with people, but I'm definitely not one of the people he's willing to be with. Based on what I've said, based on the way I've treated my body, based on the things I've thought, based on the places I've gone, my past, my failures, my morality, there's no way that a holy God would want anything to do with someone like me. So he might be near some, but he's not near me. Or how about the veil of pain? I can't see Jesus through the pain that I'm suffering right now. Man, if, if he was real, then there's... There's no way I'd be going through what I'm going through right now. 
I, I love what one of those baptisms shared today. It's difficult to see him through the pain, the, the, the marriage that was lost, the family member that passed, the diagnosis that came back terminal. Man, you could find yourself on the other side of one of those veils and not seeing Jesus because of the pain. There's so many veils. Whether it's the packaging or the people or the past or the pain, and those are not the only ones. There's others that don't start with the letter P. There's a veil of dead religion. There's the veil of success. It'll keep you from seeing Jesus. There's a veil of distraction like we talked about last week. The, the veil of your own dreams and your own pursuits. And this is where I'm headed, but God's got another plan for you so you can't see through it. We've all found ourselves on the other side of some things that keep us from seeing Jesus. But if you find yourself today on the other side of a veil, he is calling out to you with a familiar 2,000-year-old invitation to come and behold and see that he is with you right now. If you can't see him become of the, because of the packaging, he's coming to show you that he showed up as a human so that he could identify with your humanity. If you can't see him in light of the people, he's coming to say, fix your eyes on me, not on them, because I live the life of perfect love. If it's your past that keeps you from seeing him, he comes to show you your past does not petrify me, your sin does not scare me. It is the very reason I showed up on this planet to be with you. I know you couldn't make your way to me, so I came down into the mess of where you were at, to the muck and the mire and the pit so that I could find you. And if it's pain that keeps you from seeing him, he comes to say, son, daughter, I, I know your pain. I've felt everything that you felt. I was despised and rejected, acquainted with the deepest grief, a man of sorrows. I know what it feels like to be left alone and abandoned by your friends and your family in your hour of deepest need. As I cried out, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Why have you turned your back on me? He sees you. He knows you. But if you're there today, listen to me. I believe with every fiber of my being that God brought you to this room this morning. You may have thought it was an invitation from a friend, a social media post, a, a, a comeback since Easter. <laughs> But God knew that you would be here today and his spirit drew you into this place on December 18th, 2022 on a Christmas service because he wants to interrupt your life with an invitation that he issued 2,000 years ago. Will you behold and look and see that I am right here with you? I'm not far off. I'm not at a distance. I am in your midst. In fact, I've always been with you. It might have felt like I wasn't at times, but I was there. You just didn't see me there. And I'm here now. Will you behold that I'm with you? Because if you can behold today, if you can recognize that he is here among you, then listen, there is a, an even greater promise than the one issued at the beginning of Matthew. It's one that comes at the conclusion of his gospel. And it shares that not only was he with you, but he will be always. 
Look at this, this scripture at the conclusion of Matthew's gospel. Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. A familiar one. These are the words of Jesus. He says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things I've commanded you. And then ready? Behold, I am with you always. Jesus interrupts himself in the middle of this thought. And he says, behold, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. From his entry to his exit, from beginning to end. The book ends of the gospel preach the same truth, that you serve a God today who was with you, who is with you, and he will always be with you. He was with you when you didn't see him. Come on, he's with you right now, no matter what you're walking through, no matter how dire it seems, and he will always be with you because it's what he's promised to be. Emmanuel, the God with you. And here is my prayer today for every person in this room. As I've been thinking about you this week and praying this week, my prayer is that this invitation to behold would become personal for every person. That, that he would not be the God who is with your church. The God who is with your family. The God who is with your religious friends or with that denomination, but he'd be God with you. It would be personal. Man, I, I had a, a moment during the first service where I was just thinking back to that version of me at 19 years old that had spent a considerable amount of time walking away from Jesus and I remember my behold moment. I remember after spending some time away from God, being in a setting similar to this on a Sunday morning. And in one moment, as it says in 2 Corinthians 3, the veil lifted and I saw Jesus for who he truly was. And he said to me the same thing he's saying to you today. I was always with you. You might've thought you were running, but I was running right alongside of you during that season. And I'm with you now and I shall forever be with you. I'm praying you have that kind of a moment today where the veil lifts and you behold this God who is with you. I'm gonna conclude today with a, a, a verse of song that you were singing out just a couple of moments ago and I'll invite the band to come as, as we conclude. But as we sang this declaration out, my, my prayers, this becomes personal for you. Hear the lyrics one more time. This is the word here in the flesh, living among the meek and the lowly. The voice of God, his every breath, salvation to the world unfolding. This is his home here in our chest. At every door, our savior is knocking. Will you let him in and let him out with every yes, his kingdom is coming. Behold him, behold him. Lift up your eyes from your circumstance and see the son of heaven. Can I pray that over you today as we conclude? Why don't you bow your heads? Jesus, we, uh, we hear you calling. We hear the knocking, we hear the invitation. Right now, I, I, I pray for every believer in this room that finds themselves on the other side of a veil.
on the other side of something that seems to keep them from seeing you. Whether it's pain that they're enduring, whether there's been some abusive people in their life that have kept them from seeing you, even the things that seemed ridiculous up until this moment, a virgin conceiving a child, God coming as a baby, but it's amazing how those details in one moment can become so real. May we see you through the veils. And as we get ready to conclude, I wanna take a moment and pray a specific prayer with some in the room today that might say, the veil that needs to lift is the veil over my heart. I have not been following Jesus, I've been at a distance from him. Maybe at one point you would have called yourself a follower, but now you find yourself feeling miles away. Again, even there he's with you, but he's knocking on your heart this morning saying, will you surrender your life to me? Whether this is the first time you've ever made a decision like this, or it's a recommitment of your life, I wanna pray a prayer with you right now. The Bible says that the words of the prayer don't matter as much as the condition of your heart. If you confess with your heart that Jesus is Lord, and you, excuse me, your mouth, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you're saved. It's one moment. And if that's you today, you need to come to faith. Would you just look, lift up your hand and look at me and say, Tim, I need to pray that prayer along with you this morning. Awesome, yeah, yeah, bro. Yeah, right here, man, awesome. Wow, yeah, there, there, up there in the rafters. Yeah, right over here. Awesome. Come on, lots of people coming home to Jesus. All right, as a family, I want us to pray this out loud with those making this decision so they don't feel alone. Uh, lift up your voice. Say, Jesus, today I give you my life. I thank you for giving yours for mine. Forgive me of my sin and help me to follow you, to be your disciple from this day forward until I see you in eternity. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Come on, let's shout for all those coming to Jesus this morning. Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to the Father's House podcast. We hope it helped you wherever you're at in your journey. And listen, we wanna pray with you if you're going through something right now that's difficult. You can go to our website, tfh.church, and click on the prayer and praise link and tell us how to join you in prayer. Until next time, be blessed.